0: Welcome to Desk Toodles episode 17. I'm your host, Sapna Malhotra. Wish you all a very, very happy new year. May 2021 bring lots of joy, happiness, laughter, fun, excitement, and great health for all of you. And by good health, I mean your great physical health as well as your mental health. How many times people ask us, how are you? And we just say fine, good, and we go about our business. Do we really stop, pause and think what we're really feeling within? I think that's what we need to do. We need to, at times, take that pause and try to understand what is it that probably is bothering us inside. Last year was full of uh, uh, trying times for all of us. We being social beings, were told to be unsocial. We couldn't sit with our friends, have a good laugh, We couldn't share a cup of coffee like that. We couldn't hug each other. And I think that bothered all of us. We all handled it in our own way. We struggled with it. We still are. But I think it's time sometimes to delve within and try to figure out what is it that is bothering us so much. Today on Desk Doodles, I have a guest who's an expert to talk about all of this. She's the founder director of Pledge Academy. She's a counselor. She is a special educator. She provides uh, psychological counseling for children at school, for teenagers, for women. The list is endless. I think I will bring her on and let her tell about her whole story herself. Please welcome on Des Doodles, Ms. Jennifer Tavares. Welcome to Des Doodles, Jennifer.
1: Hi, Sapna. Thank you for having me here.
0: Most and a Happy
1: New Year to you as well, and to all those who are going to watch this.
0: Happy New Year to you too, Jennifer. And I think there was so much that I wanted to say. I will read the rest to you. Please tell us about your journey.
1: <laughs> um, Sapta, I'm a nurse by profession. Worked in the hospital for many years, in mostly in Bombay and here in Bangalore, St. John's, uh, before te- before branching out into psychology and special education. So since 2004, I've been involved a lot with psychology and uh, counseling. And then much later on in around 2010, I started uh, getting myself trained for special education and so on. So um, I have worked with a lot of women and children and adolescents over the last few years. And it's been a very interesting time uh, with, you know, in terms of work because when you work with a population that's so vibrant, you get to learn a lot from them. True, true, true. So that's about me, Sapna.
0: <laughs> Absolutely huge, uh, Jennifer, you put it so humbly, but uh, I mean, I've been in awe of you since I've been uh, you know, in conversation with you, trying to get this thing uh, uh, set for Desk Doodle. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. So uh, let's let just kickstart our uh, today's discussion. Oh. And as yes. a tradition with STD, we always have a uh, you know, big question for our guest. And today's okay. question that I want to put to you is, uh, why is talking about mental health uh, a stigma? Uh, and how can we erase that stigma, Jennifer? How, how can we do that? Uh,
1: a lot of things have been a stigma. In, in our, if you look at, you know, historically, a lot of things are a stigma. Uh, One of them is mental health, but and uh, if you look, if you look at around 50 years or maybe even more, the mental health institutes would be uh, situated outside the city. It would not be within the city. So technically, Nimans in Bangalore were supposed to be outside the city. So we've created that stigma uh, by doing these things. And now as we go forward, we are trying very hard to correct it. Um, stigma is mostly the negative attitudes people have towards anything. It could be gender, it could be religion, and one of them is mental health. So um, we are trying very hard to undo that stigma by educating people, by educating parents and one of them that's what you're doing this morning trying to take away stigma or out it. Yeah
0: that's what I feel like, uh, Jennifer, when if if somebody is diagnosed with, uh, you know, say uh, diabetes, right, that person can just stand up and say, you know, I'm struggling with these fluctuating levels of sugar. And if somebody is struggling with depression or anxiety, why is it becoming, you know, it becomes so difficult for that person to just say that I'm struggling with fluctuating moods or whatever the symptoms are. I think somewhere, like you said, it's also created by the society and the people around him that make him feel so that, you know, I probably can't open up.
1: Correct. Correct. Sapna, you're so right because uh, if I, when I worked in the hospital and I remember if you had to tell parents, you know, your child is diagnosed with diabetes or anything, the parents would do anything to make their child okay. But the moment you tell parents that, Probably I don't diagnose. I have to send them to a psychiatrist. But to send them to a psychiatrist, I have to say what I am suspecting. The moment I tell parents that you know your child may be having depression or anxiety, the parents close up. They go into denial, which is okay. You know nobody wants a child to have any problem, but then they do delay treatment because they are in denial about it. There is stigma are associated with it prevents them from accepting the interventions as soon as possible
0: correct correct so that's
1: that's a big thing that's a big thing parents not accepting the diagnosis or taking time to accept delays the intervention and probably prolongs the stigma it's like a message going to the child that you know my mother is not accepting that i have
0: a mental health issue right and i think right. the children grow up and they're in their teens and you know a little grown up than when they were you know uh, at home only with the parents i think even then the comfort that maybe the friends or their peers need to lend because i mean it's mm-hmm. so easy if i if i'm having a muscle pull or something i'll just pick up my phone and i'll just call up my friend you know do you know any good doctor i can go to and uh, but may, what i'm feeling within with my emotions or my feelings Everybody doesn't feel so comfortable just picking up the phone. But I think somewhere, like you said, it is uh, so imperative that they need to understand that there are people like you, counselors, psychologists and psychiatrists there who can give them that help. And if they get it on time, it's all curable. It's all treatable.
1: Exactly, yes, it is. And it's it's not absolutely necessary that medication is given to everyone. Sometimes just a clear diagnosis helps us counselors to take the therapy forward in the right direction. It gives us guidance. It gives the parents guidance as to what to accept and plan interventions accordingly. And as you said, calling up that friend is so crucial. And so therefore actually the role of school counselors, empowering of school counselors, where the child can just walk in and talk to the counselor and tell them all that they are feeling is um, is very very important in the days to come when the children go back to school. We're going to see that we need more school counselors available right. to the children. Right.
0: So when we're yeah. talking about uh, depression, like we said, uh, Jennifer, what uh, uh, you know, what could be the few uh, common signs or symptoms that you know one can kind of identify it with? You know, what could that be?
1: Okay. Yeah, so um, see, all of us get sad for short periods of time and then we come out of it in our own way. But when we look at children who perhaps have depression because we are not going to diagnose them, but these are some red flags that we could look out for, uh, we we would notice that the child is sad for prolonged periods of time. You know, the sadness just is written on the face Even when they smile, if you look at the child properly, you can see the sadness in their eyes. Um, So that's a big red flag, continuous sadness for a very long time. The second red flag that I would say is that a child tearing up very often, breaking down a lot. If there has been a death in the family, yes, it's understandable or a close friend, but you know, at the drop of every hat, the child begins to tear up and starts crying That could be another uh, symptom of a child having depression. Other than that, a child losing pleasure in the activities that they were doing. Like a child who enjoyed probably going and singing on the stage or dancing or anything that the child was enjoying doing, all of a sudden, if we notice, the child has started to withdraw from activities that gave him or her pleasure. Of course, sleeping patterns sleeping excessively. These, of course, the parents would be able to pick up sleeping excessively uh, or not sleeping at all, eating excessively or eating very, very little, perhaps no appetite. These are the five important red flags. And in addition to all of it is the low motivation that the child would have to study, to do anything. So suddenly a teacher might notice, oh, this child performed very well in the first term. And now all of a sudden, There has been such a big dip in his his or her grades could be explored. Something has changed in the child's life, what is going wrong, what is happening at home, or what is happening in the child's life is important for a teacher to pick up this in the classroom and uh, talk to the parents about it or refer the child to a school counselor.
0: I know. So like you're saying, uh, you know, Jennifer, absolutely, it's uh, so uh, necessary for all of us to know a little bit more. And, um, you know, when we are growing up, when we are studying all these various subjects, we're studying biology. And in biology itself, you know, I remember that as a kid, I still remember reading that you can tie a tourniquet above the wound and it will slow the blood flow out of that wound. Or you learn about giving a CPR Uh, you know you've seen videos and there are presentations and we read about all of that so somewhere in our mind you know you have a vague picture of how to handle a crisis you might not be perfect at it but you still know a little bit but nobody teaches us how to handle a mental health crisis we don't study about it as a kid and uh, do you think it's time that we kind of I don't know, maybe introduced us as a subject in school to learn about mental health so that we could understand what is going within us or with our friend who's right there next to us.
1: Sapna, I hope the right people hear you bringing this up. It's very, very important. Psychological well-being or psychological first aid is something that many of us were not taught at school. And even now, as we see an increase in the number of cases at school, you still don't have friends that the child could refer to or talk to because nobody knows how to react. Like if if a child goes and tells his friend, you know, I'm about to kill myself. The child doesn't know if reporting it is going to get him into trouble. If not reporting it is going to have repercussions. So there is definitely this big gap that we have in our curriculum where we are not exposing our kids uh, to perhaps the signs and symptoms and small first aid as to what is to be done. uh, If a friend talks to you about it or what should you do if you have these feelings? So I hope, as I said, the right people should hear you. Perhaps you can create a curriculum. I would help you on it. And uh, we could take it to schools. All we need is about five to 10 hours of the kids' time per year to teach them this
0: absolutely and i feel that you know we could it could be age appropriate and you could have group discussions you could have group activities yes. you could have role plays there is so much in so many ways and i think by doing something like that what we talked about like you also said that we created divide ourselves by you know creating that wide uh, vast divide between the uh, physical health issues and the mental health issues. And by bringing yes. it out into the schools and talking about it on a regular basis, I think somewhere we are just bridging that gap also. We are making it yes. out in the open and everybody can talk about it and we grow up like that. So the entire society grows up talking about it.
1: Yes, yes. It's very important that we put all these words as a part of our conversation and the best place to normalize it is definitely school. And in fact, uh, my good friend, my professor at at my nursing college in Saint, at Saint John's Nursing College, uh, Mrs. Mary Ann Washington. She actually led a program, a well-being program for schools, and uh, we did train teachers at the school to detect these. They were residential schools that we had worked with, so we taught teachers how to um, recognize these symptoms and how to take it forward. So in the process, we also taught these teachers activities to do with the children, uh, to manage their emotions and to manage their stress and so on, and what to do if they felt suicidal. So uh, this has been done and on on a, a small scale, I would say, because 87 schools being covered in the South region is a small number. And she is, of course, working hard and taking this program to other schools But I think principals and um, school managements have to open up to this idea.
0: I'm sure because I think this is, I feel it is the need of the hour. What you're saying is so necessary because even for teachers, like you're coming in, going out, teaching your subjects. And it's, I mean, it needs focused attention on that child to know whether that child really needs help. And if you are not yourself, uh, able to identify how will you even help that child right so it is so necessary the yeah. program that you're talking about i hope it reaches i think all schools need to uh, take it up and you know especially now after uh, covid you know uh, I yes know, yes your has been so very necessary. right
1: absolutely very uh, right yeah
0: let's take the segue into our next um, uh, question jennifer and i wanted yeah. to ask you like we know that this uh, age is the social media age; children are all the time living on Insta and FB and all the different various uh, social medias that are there. Right, we right. But it is uh, time that we focused our, uh, you know, attention on mental health issues because of that also.
1: Well, um, those children who are addicted to social media or addicted to the games on, uh, you know, on their phone and so on, the underlying cause could be depression. So when parents bring their child here and say, you know, my child is on playing video games for 10 hours, 12 hours. And then of course, when we talk to the child and after two to three sessions, sometimes we say, tell the parents that the child says, they can't reduce this timing on Instagram or social media anywhere. Would you be open to taking your child for an assessment to the psychiatrist? And that's when they close up, parents close up, they don't come back. <coughs> the child is also open, the child also wants that help because they realize that it's not right. They can't study if they're going to be on all these, um, you know, Instagram and so on. And um, your question was also, is that causing mental health issues? So definitely if I put a photograph out there, I'm looking at how many likes I get, I'm Photoshopping that photo to get the likes. So even when I get 50 likes or 200 likes, I'm wondering is it because i photoshopped it or is it because people really liked my photo so we have created uh, you know new problems for children new worries for them and some of them tend to be stuck in this cycle of events of you know posting a po- photo and waiting for the comments and likes and so on so it's both ways you know we have to look at it both ways very often, when children report—sorry, uh, when parents report a digital addiction, we should not ignore. There could be a root cause, underlying root cause.
0: And also, um, I think the another reason for uh, uh, giving special attention is also that when people are posting those pictures, they're posting that it's always a happy, it's always a laughing picture, and you would probably not even know. Uh, you know, whether it is the reality or there is something that is within, which is uh, hidden because of that happy face. So it will be all the more difficult, I guess, to understand uh, what that person is
1: going through. Very right, Sapna. And uh, none of us would post unhappy pictures on any social media. We always go out there to post something happy, whether it's in words or in pictures. It's mostly to shout out something Uh, you know, allowed, and therefore, social media should not be our way, like parents should not go by the social media of their children to determine their happiness, neither should friends. So that is why, going back to your uh, previous point of children being taught how to pick these up, definitely through social media, it can't be picked up. Uh, Instagram actually had come up with a policy that no one can show themselves dying or speaking about dying I think a year ago, they did come up with a very strong policy. So if they pick up any words talking about death, they'll delete the post. And whether that is also good, we don't know because sometimes a cry for help also comes through social media. Right.
0: right. And so, like we were saying in the previous uh, question also, that if somebody encounters something like that, what Mm -hmm. do you think would be the right thing for that immediate friend to do? What what do you think should that person immediately
1: do? So I always tell uh, children and adolescents whom I talk to, whatever programs I've done at school, if anything untoward comes up on Facebook or Instagram, uh, either a friend talking about death or a friend posting a nude photo to you in private or anything that you feel, you know, you get the feeling inside that this is something not right first people to report it to his parents, all right? Report it to your parents, your parents will decide what is to be done. Because in cases of children saying that I would like to enter my life, or this is what I want to do, time is so crucial. We should not, that golden time should not be lost because then what happens is the child who read that message originally is going to feel really bad that he couldn't do anything. So it's, I tell all children, all adolescents, even parents who are listening in today uh, should be telling their children that if you get anything that you don't like on social media, come and tell us. We won't disconnect you from social media. We'll keep you there, but report this stuff to us and we'll take the appropriate action. We will help you out to reach its logical end. So that's important for both parents and children to understand that.
0: And I think uh, when we were talking about, you know, bringing uh, these kind of programs to school, I think it is also uh, very important on some level. I mean, you you counsel parents as well. So, yes. uh, interactive uh, teacher and parent interactions which are open discussing about what the teacher feels and the parents also sharing what really that child is going through at home also helps uh, the child to get the right help at school as well as at home.
1: Very right, I think a lot of, lot of teachers have opened up uh, to leering parents out on, you know, on the open house day or giving them an alternative appointment to talk about other than the academics that they usually talk about, they do give them a lot of time. I've, I, I really have to say that at least teachers in Bangalore I'm seeing that change in them. Uh, if they don't know what to do with that information, they are referring the child to a counselor or they are actually guiding the parents how to seek help outside the school. So I do get references where they say, this teacher referred, that teacher referred. And so it is opening up, but um, maybe not as much as we would like it to. But I think we need to pat these teachers on the back who are being alert for these issues. Perhaps they know somebody else in their families who have suffered and who have not received treatment and that has helped them actually to help these children. So um, it is improving Sapna, but it's still a long way to go
0: yeah because i think one big thing that all of us need to understand as a society as everybody that this is not a weakness it is just any medical health issue it is not anybody's yeah. weakness that we are uh, that person is in that uh, you know dealing with that yeah
1: yes yes Uh, Yeah, so I think that, you know, the way the parents also approach the school and normalize it and say, you know, my child has depression and is receiving treatment or not receiving treatment, I think that itself will send a lot of messages to the school by just saying that, okay, we have a parent who has accepted her child, so maybe we should also accept the other children who have this particular problem, whether it's depression, anxiety, or anything else, uh, learning disabilities, which can cause depression. It's, it it initiates a reaction in the school to help out these children.
0: Now, like we're talking about, I just remembered a few days back, I heard a talk by a girl who was herself struggling with, uh, you know, uh, depression. And uh, Mm -hmm. while she was dealing with it, so, uh, she, she was telling on the talk that she used to tell her mom that I'm not feeling like going to school. So the mom would say that, okay, why don't you take a mental health day off from school? And this was in Oregon, uh, U.S. And uh, so the mom would call up the school and she would inform the school that my child cannot come today because she's feeling Mm -hmm. depressed and she's undergoing, uh, you know, going through this. So the school Mm -hmm. would give her that day off. And then, you know, the girl started that movement in the school, they took it up to the higher authorities, and then a bill was passed, a law was made in Oregon, that you could lawfully officially take a mental health day off, just like you take a physical sick day leave, it, it, yes. it's just as normal as that. And I think that was, I felt so nice when I heard her talking about it. Is something like that happening in our country as well, uh, Jennifer?
1: Well, in fact, many insurance companies don't cover treatment for depression, anxiety, if the person is admitted in the hospital. So it starts with, you know, all these uh, things as well, that where um, doctors, nurses, insurance companies all say that, you know, treatment is on par as any other illness that you have when you come in. Okay, so it, when you check, when you take an insurance policy, you have to actually check whether mental health is covered under it. Secondly is the part where you said, in the school, would they, would they allow children to start such movements? Um, the one or two schools that I work very closely with, I think, yes, they might. If there's any child who comes forward, they might be ready to start. But if you look at the larger picture, there are a lot of schools who don't want to get into all this. Um, you know, that this movement, or why do we have to expose our children, even, this, this particular child that you spoke about, it's the parent who supported the child, right? right? So if, a, yeah, if the parents do support, we all know if a parent supports the child in studies or in sports or in music, the child can reach anywhere. So similarly, this kind of parental support of uh, telling your child, I'm not going to write you're sick. I'm going to write that your mood is low today and you're not coming to school. But what will happen, the child will immediately say, no, 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 the teacher is going to read out this note of the class and then everybody's going to come to me. So going back to your first point of removing that stigma is so important to start this kind of a movement, but it'll be wonderful to initiate it somewhere and get it going. Yes, And
0: it's every step of the way, right? The parent, then the school, and then taking it up because... Uh, and, you know, it, it also eases because what they told also was that the school mm-hmm. kept a tab of how many mental health days you took off. And that would right. make, you know, give them uh, an exact information about that particular child. And if they felt that the it right. was over a limit that they felt, you know, is not just casual. So they would refer that child to a particular psychologist and that that would yeah. make, get the child the help that the child needs. Like you said, that it's a period where you definitely should get the help.
1: Correct. So it's like also keeping some kind of statistics at school of saying that if a child took two days off because of mental health issues, maybe the child was happier coming to the school. Yeah. It's also a pat on the back to the school for making the environment a happy place that only two days the child stayed back. If the child took, as you said, more days of leave, it could be a red flag where they refer the child uh, to someone. And also say that perhaps we need to make some changes at school. Perhaps these are the reasons why the child didn't want to come to school. Maybe friends were bullying the child, worrying the child. Those kind of things would need to be looked at.
0: So what, was, now that you've talked about bullying, and so what uh, are the common triggers that we see in schools when children experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, depression. We'll come to anxiety after this. I would definitely. Right, right. Talk a little bit about anxiety also. So what do you yes. think are the
1: common triggers? Uh, uh, common triggers towards bullying? No,
0: yeah. so towards uh, a child feeling depressed. Uh, depressed,
1: to... okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of them is definitely bullying. And sometimes it is done. We have known that children have committed suicide because they've been bullied in a bus. Or they've been bullied at school. So bullying, there should be a policy. Every school should have a policy on zero bullying. I think the Karnataka government has passed that a few years ago when the child uh, committed suicide after he was he or she was bullied in a bus. So that has to be followed. There should be an anti-ragging uh, committee which is present in school to look into these cases. Who take this long leap from school, etc. The other, the other. Uh, uh, triggers from the school could be a teacher ridiculing a child, uh, you know, uh, for not performing well or a child not being given an opportunity in the entire academic year to perform or to do something to build their own self-esteem based on their strengths, of course, but every child should get an opportunity. Sometimes we see the same children are being picked up for every event and that could trigger off. Uh, a child being very sad or not feeling good, feeling worthless and so on. Um, that's from the school level, I would say these are some of the main reasons, additional pressure on academics, uh, forced to being you know, uh, parents and teachers forcing the child to perform, especially in the higher classes. Mm-hmm. Children with learning disabilities are more prone to depression because they're struggling to keep up with their peers. The peer pressure, so these are some of the re- triggers that could happen at school level uh, that could trigger off a depressive episode
0: now when we are talking about this uh, jennifer i wanted to move into uh, you know something which is a very regular emotion anxiety all of us you know are anxious but when is it that that regular emotion becomes critical yeah. need to be, what is that?
1: Um, as you rightly said, some amount of anxiety is normal. But when that anxiety doesn't allow us to lead a normal life, a normal productive life, or doesn't allow us to do activities that we used to enjoy, uh, then we say that, yes, that is an ex- clinical anxiety or probably generalized anxiety disorder that we would need to refer the child to a professional to see what is, what is required to be done. So I would say that's the small difference. Child coming to school and having some anxiety before an exam or before a running race or something like that is normal. But if it's seen persistently throughout the academic year, then it's a issue to be taken up with. So
0: like when we talk about panic attack and things like that, mm-hmm. is that also mm-hmm. another category of anxiety? So you have, I think, a lot of forms yeah. of anxiety, uh, you know, as... Uh, issues that people. yes yes
1: yes so uh yeah there are a few there are many forms uh, to just mention a few that probably children would uh, experience at school so see normally children would have some fears like you know fear of thunder fear of dogs maybe of an insect you know these are some normal fears of the darkness not being able to sleep without the light off and or even coming to school and frightened that their parents won't pick them up when they are a little smaller. These are normal fears. But then after some time, when you find a child worrying, the key to anxiety is they worry a lot about, do my friends like me? Do my teachers like me? Uh, Am I going to finish this assignment? Am I going to do well? Uh, Okay, so that is called as generalized anxiety when they worry about everything and anything at all. Then you have uh, children who have phobias. They're extremely frightened of getting into a lift or climbing an elevator. It causes them a lot of uh, bodily reaction, like sweating, raising of the pulse and so on. Then you have children who don't like to come to school because they don't want to be with people. So that's social anxiety. So we don't know what's going to happen when children come back after this pandemic to school. They to be really happy to be with people. I'm sure many will be, but we can expect some cases of where children don't want to mingle with others. Uh, as you said, one of them was panic disorder. Panic disorder is where we actually um, have an intense fear of something and then we feel that heartbeat. We can feel some dizziness in our head and we then sit down and then we feel better so a panic disorder can be quite frightening to the client, but it usually happens if anxiety goes untreated. So in, and in sometimes, yeah. Uh,
0: in this case as well, like we mentioned mm. in case of depression, that if that uh, feeling of sadness and if this feeling of anxiety continues and you see that it is gradually increasing, is that when the mm-hmm. parents or the teacher need to raise a red flag? You, they need to, you know do something about it in a child?
1: Yes, because if these go untreated, as I said, untreated anxiety could lead to panic disorder. It could also lead lead to obsessive-compulsive disorders. And most importantly is anxiety mimics a lot of other mental health disorders like ADHD, that's attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Or it mimics uh, obsessive, uh, sorry, uh, uh, oppositional defined disorder. So in order to find out what exactly is the issue with the child, it is good to refer the child to get a diagnosis. But if you're asking me some of the red flags, I think from a teacher's perspective, a child who is seeking a lot of reassurance, always asking the teacher, am I doing right? Am I doing right? Uh, Have I done this well? Excessive reassurance seeking uh, could be a red flag for the teacher the child not going out to play during the breaks, staying in the class, staying away from others is another indication of anxiety. And also a child who repeatedly goes to visit the school health nurse, stomach is paining, headache, uh, every other day these same issues and then they want to go home. They don't want to stay back in school. And then the parents will say, but when the child came back home, the child was fine. Okay, so that these are indications or red flags where we can say that the teacher can pick these up at school. Um, Yeah, so um, it's difficult to pick up anxiety because anxiety and stress, there's a fine line between them. I just think that if the teachers who are listening into this program feel that there is anything unusual about the child, you know, uh, friends are coming and telling the teacher, the child is doing this, not doing that. I think that itself, let the teacher report what is the harm? It's the counselor's job to then rule out that there is nothing wrong with the child. Right.
0: And I think that's where when we said that the teacher parent interactive uh, session is so important because yes, they yes. then they can share notes that if something like that was happening, at least then you know the child can uh, you know get the help early on and then it can be treated.
1: Uh, you know. Yes. Yes. Early intervention for any disease or for any disorder is the key to uh, a faster recovery, and you know the child's life becomes better faster.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think yeah. that's true for any. Like that's why I'm just putting it out again that for any medical issue, with yes. physical health or a mental health i think they, it's time that we just put them at par with each other because the way we casually regularly talk about our uh, physical health we just need to be open about so that you know everybody can get that timely help that that person needs yes, and uh, yes. like we were talking about you know when you said that once the schools open and the children are going to come back so how was it uh, jennifer uh, you know during this covid time Did you see that uh, there was more of, uh, you know, children going through uh, a tough period?
1: Well, Sapna, I got a lot of calls from parents uh, to talk to their children. But I will be honest, I did not do, I did not uh, take up cases of children who were below class eight because uh, I felt that they were not going to be in a neutral environment to talk to me. Because we have parents who probably would listen into the conversation. Uh, the whole idea of counseling is that they come and talk to the counselor in a non judgmental or a non threatening space. And I don't think this lockdown, uh, we were able to provide that to children under the age of 13. Uh, you know, children who are older are smart, they know they have to go away, they know their parents might be listening in. But younger children, Uh, So whichever parents did call me up regarding their children, I worked with the parents. I asked, told them how to talk to the child. You know, after all, you were all locked in together. So you might as well start talking, uh, you know, the other stuff to children and so on. So um, just two points here. One is that I worked with parents and yes, there were a lot of calls because a lot of children did not know how to handle this sudden being locked in or this suddenly being all the time under their parents' watch. They were, uh, children were struggling with that. I won't say it was a big number, but definitely, yes, there were. But then a lot of parents did work on it and those children were fine. The second point is that a lot of parents bring their children to the counselor to open up. They say, my child, I know my child has a problem. If you talk to my child, then I can uh, you know, help my child more. At the moment they hear that the child has developed this rapport with us, wants to meet the counselor, wants to talk to the counselor, suddenly parents feel insecure. And they say, what is it that the child is telling you that they can't tell us? So these are the, uh, what do you say, um, occupational hazards, if not, or not really occupational hazards, but these are some problems that we counselors face that sometimes they don't turn up at all they don't uh, tell us they have terminated the counseling for the child
0: and so realize yeah. that the child is getting help that the child needs and just because they feel uh you know uh, that the yeah. child has opened up to a stranger rather than themselves they just back track from there that that is i think Again, such a sad situation. And again, we come back to the whole stigma part of it that in one way or the other, it is just, uh, you know, something that... And <laughs> I, right. I think somewhere like when we were talking, I think it is only possible if we start younger, we start introducing mental yes. schools, in schools and the whole population grows up, you know, society is just infused with that and just, you know... Yeah.
1: Yeah. That yes, demand. yes. I think I think the role of pediatricians is also so important because the child goes to a pediatrician regularly for a visit, either for an immunization or for some childhood health issue. So I think even how do how we record growth charts, physical charts, we also need to have some kind of a mental health chart for children because pediatricians are there definitely. They will be meeting pediatricians during childhood for any kind of, you know, viral fever, or something. I think asking a few questions to the parents at that point of time is also a good way to keep track of uh, their mental health. Absolutely.
0: So too, Jennifer. I mean, I can just go on listening to you because it really <laughs> my heart that you know all the work that you're doing, and I hope there are, you know, our listeners can understand that. If you get the right help for your child, and if the or if children who are listening, if you get the right help, it's all treatable, and you'll be happier, and you'll be, you know, you'll be free of that uh, mental uh, uh, issue that you're going through because it's just about yes. getting the right help. So uh, before we uh, wrap up, Jennifer, just a few words, uh, something for our viewers outside.
1: Okay, so. Um... For the parents who are watching, I would say that academic pressure in this day and age is something that we see a lot of parents doing, but also keep a tab on the mental health of your child. If your child is getting excessively angry with you, is not eating, is locking himself up in a room, please seek help and seek help till your child comes out of it. Uh, That's important. And also keep in mind all the red flags that we spoke about uh, during this uh, talk. To the children who are there, focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. We've all been gifted with some talents which which might uh, help us in the long run. Our weaknesses perhaps are meant to be, but focus on your strengths and keep honing those skills. So if you're good in writing stories, hone that skill. If you're good in playing a game, continue playing that game. I'm not talking about video games, I'm talking about football or badminton or anything else that you're good at. Um, continue uh, you know, honing that skill so that that will keep you going for a long time. Have some physical activity in your day, whether it's running up and down your apartment steps because of lockdown, I'm not suggesting going out, but some physical activity in the day and maintain a gratitude journal. At the end of the day, think of three things that went well for you, that were good for you in that particular day. That will help you to focus on good things in life and uh, diminish the negative uh, things that are present in your life. Okay, so That's to the parents and children who I hope will be watching and hearing us till the end of this talk. Yeah,
0: Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was so uh, enlightening. I learned so much and like you rightly said, uh, maintain your physical as well as your mental health. Uh, Exercise, play, meet friends, talk to your parents, talk to your peers and uh, be happy and if you don't feel okay one day if you don't feel okay a few more days do get the help because counselors like Jennifer and there's so many more counselors out there ready to help you so please go ahead and get that help and stay fit.
1: thank you so much thanks Jennifer thank you Sapna. thank you so much